Coming up on the bridge round, Albert Gozi, CEO and co-founder of Aleph, joins the show to talk about the insight that Albert got from his time working and consulting at Bain, specifically the pain in and around FP&A, which stands for Financial Planning and Analysis, that led him to the opportunity he's focused on now with Aleph. We look back at the Series A that they recently raised from Bain Capital Ventures and just that process, how CEOs should be thinking about the balance of relationship building with VCs and spending their time there versus the process of building the business and talking to customers, the hard reality and trade-off there for priorities. And then really just the mentality of company building after closing the Series A, if and how anything changed there for Albert and balancing resource allocation across product development and growth. Some uh, meaty questions in there. Grateful for Albert's time. All right, let's get into the show. Assassin's state of mind. Get Grind. See them dollar signs. Assassin's state of mind. Assassin's state of mind. Hustle. Grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line. Assassin's state of mind. Hustle. Grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, Asian the game. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny, pocket change. One phone call and your life can change. What's, your What's going on, everybody? Happy Friday. It's your host, Justin Vandehey, here at the Bridge Rounds. For every week, we have founders on the show talking about their ventures and taking them from zero to one. This week on the show, we've got an exceptional founder in. He is the CEO and co-founder of Aleph, your one source of truth for financial data. Albert Gozi, welcome into the Bridge Round, my friend. Thanks for having me, Justin. So you're just coming back from a pretty gnarly trail race. Very keen to talk about that. We're going to get into introductions here, but how's your first of all, like how's your body feeling? Uh, I feel recovered. I think it's been four weeks now, so slowly starting to run again, slowly starting to get back into activity. But it's uh, it's certainly been a couple of challenging weeks of recovery. So what it was? What was the race? It was El Cruce, right? It was a trip to Argentina. Yeah, it's El Cruce. It's a, a race I started doing about five years ago, and I have done four times now. And the way it originally started is crossing the Andes Mountains in South America between Argentina and Chile. It's uh, 60 miles in three days. And, you know, in, in between each day, you just sleep in a tent in the middle of nowhere by a beautiful lake, wake up at 5 a.m. and like run for 20 miles. So pretty amazing experience. Anyone that is interested, I'm, I'm happy to talk more about it or even, you know, let you know how to get in and run with me next year. Yeah, there's nothing like just being in, in pain amongst the like, beauty <laughs> i feel like this it yeah. it and suck a little less it's it's a, a very nice social experience as well and yeah you know sh- shared pain really helps bonding so i think my i, I like the red running part i appreciate that being nature but what i like the most is just spending time in the camp by a beautiful lake without reception with a bunch of great people so it's a, a very social race so uh Got it right into your athletic endeavors. So we can talk a little bit about your background. And also, we usually open up the podcast with the founding stories. I'd love to hear the founding story behind Aleph. So yeah, with my background and, and how I got into Aleph, I was a management consultant, work at uh, 
firm called Bain for many years. When I was there, worked a lot with CFOs, and that was my first exposure to this world that uh, Aleph is now in. And after that experience, more Fortune 500 type of companies, I went to the startup world and I was COO, CFO of an early stage company. So building more things now from the ground up. And both with those massive companies, as well as the, the startup I was at, I saw some of the limitations of how people were doing things in terms of finance. And I also had my own ways that I thought were interesting that at that time were just visual basic scripts and hacks here and there, but I thought solve the problem in an interesting way. So I think that was the first spark. And from there, it was about, is it just me that I don't would find this interesting or would other people find my solutions appealing? And, and that's what started it all. So keen to know a little bit more about the business. And I know you mentioned your background in, in uh, at Bain and in consulting. So who is Aleph's target customer? And sorry, my wife just broke in here to show me. We have chickens. Yeah, I can believe this. We have chickens. And uh, they just laid a nice. bunch of eggs. So Albert, if you want some eggs, I'll ship it on my way. That's hilarious. Uh, first time we've had a chicken interruption on the podcast. So if you're into omelets, I've got a good I, I, I would take some. Yeah, I would take some. So keen to, yeah, just learn a little bit more about who the the target customer is and what is that ideal customer profile? Yeah, so we work with finance teams and specifically their FP&A teams, they're big enough. So the main LF user would be FP&A teams of companies that are 50 to 100 people or all the way to a few thousand. And within that, what we help them with is anything FP&A from reporting. So the FP&A team is typically in charge of like monthly reporting cadence, reporting to management, reporting to borders, as well as some of their more future-oriented processes like budgeting, forecasting, and like being the ones creating and managing all of those versions of the plan. So that's our ICP. And I think within that, we just help them automate and, and make those processes easier. So yeah. basically, before using a left, companies come from either using another SPLA tool that is not meeting their needs, typically because it's too hard to set up, too clunky, it's not flexible enough, or they're just using Excel. And I think in either way, what we what LF can do is one, very quickly connect to all of the integrations of the sources where they have their data today. So we connect to integrations in under 10 minutes where the average competitor might take days or weeks. Mm. And then we let people start using those data in in different, but they in different places. And I think one of the things that we do very decently again is we have an add-in for Excel and Google Sheets where they can work with their data directly in spreadsheets. So I like to this idea of just meeting customers where they are and not trying to embracing their existing workflows rather than trying to impose a way of doing things. Who are some of the incumbents? Like, sounds like, yeah. like a lot of homegrown systems and solutions, but are there, is it Workday? I'm guessing SAP probably has a... Yeah. So I, I can speak about history of the space. 
for a long time, but the, the yeah. TLDR is that there was a, a wave one of tools that were Oracle, SAP, IBM, like in the 1990s, yeah. they all had their tools. Today, I think the incumbents are too unaplanned. It was a private company, public company up until recently. Now they've been taken private by Tomo Gravel and then Adaptive Insights, which is now part of Workday. So okay. Workday work is one. Right. So shifting gears a little bit, I know y'all recently announced the raise from, from Bain Capital Ventures. That's massive. We have a lot of listeners that are very interested in the process and what that looked like for raising capital. Just keen to hear from you on sort of how that experience was for you. And more specifically too, like Bain's a big firm. So what sort of traction were they looking for uh, when they were evaluating the investment opportunity? So I process-wise, I think my somehow contrarian date was that we spent quite a lot of time with them, even ahead of the race and we build relationships in order for the race to then move faster. I think there's one like one thought process that is you should just focus on the business. Talking to investors when you're not racing is distracting. And I think there's a lot that is true about that. At the same time, like I do believe that building relationships and investors invest in like a line and that line comes from different data points and you need to keep them those data points so they can draw the line. So the, the first thing that we did that I think helped have a much faster process afterwards is spending some time with them, letting them understand the business, letting them see the progress, have a few touch points in there to, to see a progression and not, not overly spending time and not distracting myself from the business, but having one half an hour conversation every now and then to keep the relationship close. So I think that helped. And that's helped move things much faster once we were entertaining the idea of, of raising. Are there any things that, I guess, in reflecting back on the process, things that you wish you would have done differently or as you were thinking about the end-to-end -end process? It sounds like the relationship piece was pretty critical. Well, I, I think that was critical. And I think the other things that they were looking for that I think made the route happen were just worrying about the business, right? And that's where... I think in our particular case, they weighted very heavily the feedback that we have from existing customers. I think at Series A, traction is, of course, much more important than seed. And there's a bit there that you need to see as an investor, like they need to see it uh, to be able to prove the, the case. But just customer lab is, for us, I think, what ended up making it. And the idea of, one, the, the love of the customers for the existing product and what they were using, as well as how the customers felt that we cared about them, that we listened what they had to say, and that they had the trust in what's to come as well, and not only what the product was doing today. So now that y'all have closed out the round, is there any sort of shift in mentality, I guess, as both seeing about what your team looks like a year from now, but also I know a lot of founders say, odd, oh, you know, business as usual. So just keen to hear from you and all that mentality around how you think about company building has changed after the round. Yeah, I, I think there, there's a bit of both. I think there's a bit of you shouldn't change fundamentally the way that you carry on with the business just by having more money in the bank. Uh, and I think that's a, it, it's good to be you know, level habit and just not, not go crazy just because you have more money in the bank. I think the way I think about it more practically is that 
it just gives us more shots and goal and it gives us permission to try things that might not work. And if we spend money and we learn, I think like that's a, that's money well spent and like we'll, you will have some return. So I think that's more you know, generally the way I think about it. I think for us, we're very confident about the direction that we're in. And I think we have a very aggressive roadmap that I'm very excited about, that the team's excited about, and that our customers are very excited about. So for us, it's more about being very, very focused on, on that, very focused on what we know will make our customers' lives better and just sprinting towards that as fast as we can. And I think that's where capital lets you go faster than if you didn't have it. How do you guys, how do you think about the trade-off of, is it more, you know, I know you mentioned that you've got a lot that you want to do on the product side and investing in top of funnel and growth and thinking about allocating resources there. Is it sort of split? Are you thinking about it more balanced? Yeah, I, I had these type of questions early on a lot and, and we did Y Combinator and yep. something that one of our Y Combinator partners told me back then really stuck with me. Every time I went and asked like, hey, Dalton, Dalton Campbell, who's our partner, you know, we, we have X and Y and which one should we prioritize? What Dalton said to me was always somehow the best founders manage to do both. Whenever they have like X and Y, they don't choose one. They just manage to do both. And I think that's what the challenge is for us is yes, once we need to Invest in the roadmap, invest in what's going to make us a billion dollar company three to five years from now. But we also need to make sure that we're growing today and we need to make sure that the product works well, build bags and is reliable. And I think that if we want to be a billion dollar company, we cannot choose. We need to do all and we need to do all well. Yeah, no pressure. It's a lot. I guess that's what you sign up for though, you know? So I know we're, we're coming up on time. I wanted to just, yeah, give you some space to talk about what's next for LF. And then was there anything else that you wanted to plug? Yeah, I think for me, as a good segue from the last answer, we have a very aggressive roadmap and there's a lot of things that we need to do. And, and I think that the only way to do it is with great people. And we really care about, I think there's this concept of talent density. I think it's very, very important for me. And I think it's very important for us, the team, that we don't want to be a hundred people for being a hundred people. We really want each new hire to add something new to the company and to really carry both the culture as well as our skills as a team forward in an equal way. So we need a lot of talented people and those are hard to come by. So if the mission sounds interesting or if you have a friend that you think would be interesting in this, please send them my way. And we're always looking for exceptional people. Awesome, dude. Well, again, thank you for making the time, Albert. I know it's been a busy holiday season. Rest, recover, and uh, all the best to you and uh, and the team here heading into 2024. Thank you so much, and thanks for the time. And next time you're in Portland, I'm making you an omelet. Omelets are on me, man. That's all chickens all day here. All right, that is a wrap. Again, shout out to Albert and the entire team at Aleph. Uh, again, congratulations on the Series A. Giving some love out to Bain Capital Ventures as well. Uh, very excited for that partnership. And also giving some love out to Y Combinator and uh, Dalton Caldwell for just reminding founders how brutal it is to prioritize sometimes and that it's required to do more with less. <laughs> so good reminder there. 
Uh, this week on the show, we've got a legend in, uh, one of the first evangelists of Apple products, worked with Mr. Steve Jobs with Waz. Guy Kawasaki will be joining the show uh, to talk about his upcoming book, Think Remarkable. Uh, he is, this is one of my favorite interviews, uh, as somebody that honestly knows more about brand building and uh, than anyone else. So you're going to want to tune into that. In the meantime, appreciate everyone tuning in. Keep hustling. Keep grinding. Keep grinding. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything.